Okay, welcome in Tuesday edition. Good morning, hockey. Hope everybody had a lovely Monday. Hope everybody really enjoyed those hockey games last night. And uh, we have a very special addition to the the show here today. We got uh, Victor Simononic. I will be referencing him as Sully um, in this office and in this uh, airwave space. Uh, we're, we're bringing him on to uh, help out with a lot of the business stuff around here. Um, he's going to be our head of sponsorships and marketing. So um, just he's going to help us a tremendous amount, but he's also going to come in and sit on whatever shows he wants, whenever he wants, really. He's going to sit on the hockey one once, twice a week and talk a little betting, talk a little um, parlays, whatever. You want to introduce yourself into the microphone, Sully? Yeah. Hey, what up, everyone? Yeah. As uh, Tasso said, uh, everyone here calls me Sully. Uh, don't ask why. It's long, annoying, doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Like you said, I'm here to talk bets, talk business. You know, not much else to it. It's pretty cut and dry there, boys. You know? All right. He's uh, getting used to being behind the microphone still. but And waking up. And waking up early. This was uh, this was a good challenge. But we're going to welcome on uh, Dylan Tyrer from the Columbus Blue Jackets in a few minutes. He's a broadcaster for them. He's also the host of the Pipeline podcast as part of uh, CBJ Radio out there on Spotify. So uh, we're going to talk a lot about the CBJ with him. Um, a lot of a lot of interesting prospects to talk about. He does a lot on that side of things, but really, anytime news breaks on the Columbus front, anytime there's really anything special to report, he's right on it. So we're gonna bring him on in a few moments. Here, um, we had a lot of exciting games last night. Uh, we had Edmonton beating the Los Angeles Kings four to two. Um, we had the Seattle Kraken beating the Boston Bruins three to two in a shootout. We'll get to all those in a few moments. Um, but I first wanted to start with um, this New York Islanders-Dallas Stars game real quick before we bring Dylan on. Um, Ilya Sorokin was really good. Scott Wedgwood was really good, too. Yeah, Scotty Wedgwood. So the, the Stars really, you know, held tight, but the Islanders broke through and got the goal from Bo Horvat and won the game in overtime. He's ended both games against the Dallas Stars for the New York Islanders this season, uh, both in overtime. So... Um, it was good effort from the Islanders. They really needed to get a win there. Um, Sully's going to touch on Dallas a little bit later, I'm pretty sure. Um, but Columbus is really interesting. I want I want to just, like, preface what we're bringing on with Dylan and the situation in Columbus. I mean, there there is some tension in Columbus right now. There's a lot of um, moving parts, a lot of moving pieces. A lot of people are most likely on edge, both on ice and off ice, about um, what the situation currently is in the market with Yarmo Kekalainen being fired uh, about a week and a half ago now. Um, and it, it's it been a nice turnaround for the Blue Jackets. Some of these pieces, some of the outside noise seems to have been misconstrued, according to John Davidson, who's now the acting general manager of the team. Um, and there, there seems to be a lot of uh, promise within that locker room that some of these pieces are going to shine through. We're going to touch on all of that with him. There's also the Adam Fantilli buy-in, which is just really got to be tremendous if you're Columbus to have a player of that caliber really be all bought in on the market so soon as he got there, right? As He's just a young 18-year-old. He's hurt right now. We haven't seen him in the lineup for a few weeks, and it'll probably be a little bit longer before we see him in action again for the Blue Jackets, but um, it's still very nice that they, they do have some pieces. Things are not entirely bleak right now in Columbus. So there's a lot of fun uh, pieces that 
are either in the lineup now or will be coming into the lineup soon. Um, either that is with uh, AHL Cleveland or that is some of the other junior teams around. There's They have some interesting European prospects. So um, there, there's a lot to like in Columbus, even though they may not be where they want to be right now. Um, Sully, also for uh, future reference, you've got to hold the mic when, whenever you want to talk. Um, not, I'm just, I'm giving him a hard time here, everybody. <laughs> yeah, this is his first time here behind a microphone too. So um, yeah, so we're really excited to have Dylan join us in a few moments. Um, Columbus is currently last in the Eastern Conference and they are currently last in the Metropolitan Division. Um, as far as the NHL goes, uh, they're up on a lot of those Western Conference teams right now, um, notably San Jose, Anaheim, and Chicago. So um, not maybe the season that the Blue Jackets expected or wanted, but uh, th there has been a lot of growth and development from this team in the time that John Davidson has been sitting in the interim GM chair. So um, how, do, how are we with bringing Dylan on? I can get him right now. Cool. Um yeah, a lot, of, a lot of really, really interesting players. One, one I'm really looking forward to asking him about is Corson Kuhlman, the defenseman currently playing his trade in Cleveland with the Monsters. Um, he played two years at Wisconsin for the Badgers, um, put up some really good points there. A lot of people maybe wanted to see more from Corson Kuhlman, so uh, I'll talk about him. There's also Denton Matejchuk, who's a really intriguing prospect, played for Team Canada at the World Juniors this past year. Um do we have him on? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, so we now welcome on uh, Dylan Tyre, Blue, uh, Blue Jackets broadcaster, uh, host of the Pipeline podcast on CBJ Radio. How you doing today, Dylan? I'm excellent. Thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it, and I'm excited to talk some hockey. Yeah, um, we're really excited to do this Blue Jackets deep dive. Um, y yeah, um, in the wake of the Yarmo Kekalainen firing, uh, the team seems to have been playing better on the ice, but what is the mood around the organization? Uh, I would say it's business as usual. That's just how it has to be in the NHL, right? Obviously, um, Yarmo is the longest tenured general manager in Blue Jackets franchise history, so him being relieved of his duties is an emotional time for a lot of people in that front office. Uh, John Davidson, the president of hockey operations for the Blue Jackets, talked about it uh, as much, you know, he said that he and Yarmo, not just, they didn't just have a working relationship. They were good friends away from the rink too, for a number of years. So it was a hard thing to do to let him go. But I mean, you can't sulk. It's a, it's a pretty much day-to-day -day business here in the NHL. You're working every single day. You got games every other day. So like I said, it's been business as usual. We picked up right where we left off. And like you had referenced, the team is, is, played better than decent hockey since that firing so it's just a matter of you know everybody coming together in that room I think you know we, we asked the players we asked the coach about it after the firing can something like this bring a room together when it came to it but I, right because when it comes down to it it's the players job to play on the ice and produce wins they didn't do that for the last GM so I think they're going to be motivated to finish the season strong uh, as they're really trying to make an impression for whoever the new GM is going to be. I mean, I know John Davidson has been there for a while now, but have things kind of settled with him 
as the acting general manager now? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, J.D.'s been around for a long time. He has a, a big presence at Nationwide Arena. So I would say there was really not much of a transition at all between he and Yarmo Kekalainen. And, you know, J.D. usually, you know, they'll one or the other will be on the road. They'll both be on the road. So it was no different, really, with John Davidson joining the team on the road. Because if you recall, they went to California right after uh, Yarmo Kekalainen was relieved of his duties. So, yeah, to answer your question, in short, there's really been not much of a transition at all. It's been very smooth. I mean, we've seen the team play a lot better now uh, in the wake of this change at the top, and the, the everything seems to have reverberated down in terms of the play. Um, you have some of the usual suspects. I know it hasn't maybe been the season that Johnny Goudreau has wanted to have, um, but he still leads the team in scoring. Then you have Zach Wierenski at the two-spot but in the three, four, and five, you have Kirill Marchenko, Dmitry Voronkov, and Igor Chinnikov. Um, I don't maybe like touch on a little bit of those three guys. What makes them different? I think a lot of people they play together a lot of the time, so a lot of people lump them together. But they're all different players. Voronkov's a really big body, can really shoot the puck well. Um, Kirill Marchenko, I feel like him and uh, Voronkov have a really nice connection together. Um, Talk about maybe the growth of those players, the opportunity that they've gotten recently in this new era of trying to figure out who really is going to be a part of this team going forward. Yeah, I mean, those guys have made a great impression this year, haven't they? I I love the Russians. <clears throat> Excuse me. I love the Russians. I think everybody around Nationwide Arena loves the Russians, not for what they do on the ice, but they are so much fun away from the rink, too. Each of those guys has a great personality, and you might be thinking to yourself, well, Dmitry Voronkov doesn't speak English. How could he have a great personality? But you can see it all the time from Dmitry Voronkov, just how uh, how unique that guy is, the, the effect that he has on the room. I've talked to a number of the Blue Jackets just about the effect that Dmitry Voronkov has on the room, and it happened pretty quick and he was having fun with guys and they were having fun with him despite that language barrier. But on the ice, Dmitry Voronkov is just a massive body, six foot five, 240 pounds. He's a big difference maker for this team. Uh, I talk with Mark Recchi, who is a Blue Jackets assistant coach and obviously an NHL Hall of Famer. I talked with him early on in the season and he said that Dmitry Voronkov is the smartest player on the Blue Jackets. Uh, he just knows how to play the game. He knows where to be all the time. Uh, he's great in front of the net. He does some really unique things when it comes to screening goalies. Um, all of his goals are scored from pretty much the same place. He's got 16 on the season, and all of them are pounding away on the doorstep. I call him a Vronk spike, like uh, Rob Gronkowski with the Gronk spike. But oh, yeah. I, have stylized it, I have stylized it as the Vronk spike. Um so, I mean, that's what you need to know about Voronkov. And I think he's just going to get better and better the more comfortable he gets playing in the NHL. He actually spoke after the Blue Jackets win against the Rangers the other night, and he said that. Uh, as far as it goes with Marchenko, it's his second season in the NHL. Uh, he's been a little bit streakier this season. Last year, he didn't play the full 82 games just because he was in Cleveland for a bit. Um, he, I would say that he probably hasn't had the season that he's exactly wanted this year compared to last. I think if you asked him, ideally, he would be on more of a 30-goal pace, uh, which I definitely think is in the cards for him in the future. Um, but he's another guy that has just 
an electric personality, like complete fan favorite, happy-go-lucky all the time, uh, an amazing guy, and another player that I think could be really, really strong for the Blue Jackets. Just a great pinpoint accurate shot, uh, sneaky deception with his shot. And I think something underrated about him, too, is he he really works. That's something that Brad Larson, the Blue Jackets head coach last year, when Marchenko was a rookie, he would say, you know, he works away from the puck. That's what earned him some extra ice time last season. Um, but like I said, streak year this year, completely expect him to be a 55, 60-point guy going forward in the NHL. Um, and then Chinikov, I'm saving the best for last potentially here because – if you remember, when the Blue Jackets drafted him in the first round a few years back, literally nobody knew who he was. Oh, he yeah, was a that's guy, a great clip. Yeah, he was a guy playing in the KHL, um, and nobody knew who the heck he was. He ended up being the rookie of the year in the KHL. Uh, he comes over to North America. He hasn't really been able to stay healthy the last couple of seasons. You could see it in flashes for him last year, specifically in the preseason. I think he had something like 10 shots on goal in the preseason, and he scored on six of them. Um, this year has been, I would say, a full-fledged breakout for Igor Chinikov, and I think there's even more in the tank. There's limitless potential. No matter who you ask on the Blue Jackets coaching staff or in management or players on the team, everybody I've talked to says that the sky is the limit for Igor Chinikov. How many guys are the fastest skater on the ice and have the fastest shot on the ice literally every single night. That's Igor Chinikov. You know, he shoots the puck 95-plus miles per hour with a wrist shot. Um, he skates 22 to 24 miles per hour when he's going full speed. Uh, it's ridiculous. Like, the guy can just hunt pucks down. It's It's crazy how fast he is compared to other guys on the ice. And you know, I think next year, assuming he's able to stay healthy, I think next year is the true breakout season for Igor Chinikov. Definite 30-goal potential. I think 40 goals isn't out of the realm of possibility, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him score 50 goals in the NHL the way that he can shoot the puck. So, I, again, I just think it's a matter of, of getting a little bit more comfortable in the league, figuring out time and space, getting a little bit more room for himself to shoot the puck, and when he can figure out how to do that, it's going to be really fun to watch. I think he could be the best of the bunch there. Yeah, I think we all remember that that Sportsnet draft programming when Chinikov was picked at 21. Nobody really knew who he was. And Brian Burke goes, I think he's a winger. That was pretty great. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, it's been a bit of a struggle in net for Elvis Merzlikens this season. Uh, the Blues Jackets have made it pretty known that they want to experiment with some of the other guys they have in net. Daniil Tarasov, Jack Greaves is a really good young prospect playing for Cleveland right now. He's gotten some looks in the NHL. They also have Nolan Lalonde playing in OHL Saginaw right now. Um, but Elvis Merzlikens has always seemed to fit like a glove in Columbus. He really loves the city. Um, really just loves the fan base there, really connects well with the the organization and the community in Columbus. Um, we had the trade uh, request rumors earlier in this season. John Davidson came out and said that those, in fact, were not true. Um, and Elvis Merzlikens is a guy, he seems to just savor every single win he gets in the National Hockey League more so than a lot of goalies do. Um, 
just maybe talk about what this guy is like around the the team and the community and um you know is, is he going to be around long term because i i think it would be wise to keep him around well i think that's going to be up to elvis when it comes down to it because like you talked about there was kind of the whole trade thing what was it a month a month and a half ago now um where elvis had said that he had requested a trade and then john davidson said well maybe that's a little bit overblown um it's going to come down to how he plays right because he has been inconsistent these last few years really ever since he got that contract extension but the potential is definitely there for elvis like you you've seen the way that he can play that stretch of games a few years ago where he had five shutouts and eight starts or whatever it was, I think definitely speaks to how good Elvis can be in the league. I mean, the name says it all. The guy's got a big personality, a huge personality, and he wants to be the guy. He's made that very, very apparent, even going back to when Jonas Corposalo and he were sharing the net a few years ago. He wants to be the guy just comes down to whether or not he can prove that he can be the guy. And to this point, it's been a little bit rocky for him. It's been shaky. But when he plays the way that he did the other night against the Rangers, you look at him and you could say, well, this guy can completely be the guy because he was pretty quiet for the first couple of periods in that game, which is all you could ask for. You know, the goal, when you're not talking about the goalie, it's probably a good thing. Then in the third period, he makes some big saves, one with the Blue Jackets on the power play, one with the Blue Jackets on the PK, and you're thinking, well, now he's delivering timely saves. This is exactly what you want out of a goaltender. So that's about as complete a performance as you could ask for from Elvis. If he can string more of those together, then he's definitely going to make a case for himself being the guy long-term or being the guy for somebody long-term. I can't speak to what the Blue Jackets want to do with Elvis Merzlikens. I can't speak to what Elvis Merzlikens wants to do long-term with his career. But it comes down to how the player plays, right? And to this point, it's been up and down for Elvis ever since he got that contract extension. I think he could really use just a period of, of <clears throat> things being a little bit quiet and calmed down. Um, going back to a few years ago, you know, he's battling with Jonas Corposalo for the net. Then the absolutely horrible tragedy happens with Matisse Kivlenix, which obviously shook Elvis to his core, and rightly so. Um, you know, this year has been tumultuous in Columbus. There's been lots of drama throughout the season. So I think he could benefit from a quiet finish to this season, really finding his game, uh, having another big summer, and coming back to training camp ready to go. But uh like I've, like I've harped on a few times here, it's going to come down to how Elvis plays and what his mindset is like because it's very evident that when he's in the right frame of mind, he can be a very quality goaltender in the NHL, and when he's not, he struggles. Absolutely. Um, so I want to touch on some of these young guys, both in the league and not in the league quite yet for the Columbus Blue Jackets, but... Before we get there, I do want to ask about the player development staff. Um, Rick Nash is the director of player development. You have development coaches like Tommy Cross and Derek Dorsett. You also have Yarko Rutu acting as a European correspondent on the player development side. Um, what is What have those guys been doing? What kind of job have those guys been doing, especially Rick Nash, having a legend like that from the organization, having such a elbow grease role as far as player development goes? Well, I mean, I know all those guys love going out and watching the players and communicating with the players. That's their job. And Rick, I think having Rick 
be able to be in charge of that is really unique because he acts as a an excellent liaison between guys that are just becoming a part of the organization and the organization. You know, he's been in Columbus for a long time. He's been with the Blue Jackets for a long time. So to have a guy like that that, you know, can be that connection between the players, the city, and the team is excellent. Um, and, and, you know, for I can speak to Rick as, as a person and getting to know him a little bit. He is just an awesome guy. Uh, he cares a lot about the Blue Jackets, cares a lot about these prospects. Uh, and and I've really enjoyed just talking prospects with Rick Nash when it comes to everybody in the Blue Jackets organization. He's It's obviously his job as the director of player development to know what's going on with everybody. But let me tell you, the guy knows what's going on with everybody. And that's because he has that tight relationship with uh, the other development coaches. Um, so I want to I want to ask about some of the the guys that aren't in the NHL, but I feel we would be remiss if we did not ask you about Adam Fantilli. The buy-in from Adam Fantilli has been very clear from day one. Him and his family are very appreciative to be a part of the Blue Jackets family. They've said that numerous times. Um, I think the buy-in from Adam Fantilli is one of the maybe major bright spots and beacons of hope going forward for the Columbus Blue Jackets. What's it been like having this kid around? I know he's not in the lineup right now, um, and it'll probably be another few weeks before we see him again. But maybe speak to the the maturity and the growth so far that you've seen from a player like Adam Fantilli and what kind of hope he brings for the future of this club. Well, he brings a lot of hope for the future of the Columbus Blue Jackets because he's the third overall pick. I mean, you probably know it that in any other year, he's probably going to be the number one overall pick. Um, but just a stacked draft class this year with Connor Bedard at the top. But I, I mean, I think he's the real deal when it comes to the character away from the ice. I don't know if I've ever seen an 18 year old, a so much a 19 year old, even uh, as mature as Adam Fantilli is. He's like a seasoned pro. Um, he fit right into the blue jackets dressing room. Um, from all accounts, you know, away from the rink with the guys, they they all get along great. And then on the ice, I think he's pretty much been as advertised. Obviously, you know, getting into the NHL and getting comfortable is, is different for everybody, and it can be difficult. But I think Adam's pretty much taken it in stride. It's just a shame that he did get hurt when he did because, you know, this is when the, the hockey ramps up. You know, things get a little bit more difficult in the second half of the season as teams are making their push for the playoffs. So I really would have liked to have seen Adam um, in this scenario. And really, the Blue Jackets are trying to build. It's what we talked about right off the top, that the Blue Jackets are trying to build and establish themselves a little bit, I think, as this season finishes up. So it stinks that Adam can't be a part of that right now. Um, but he should be back by the the time the season's over and get some hockey in. Um, it just I, I just feel bad for him that he got hurt when he did because you know you just want to see him continue to develop and get more and more comfortable um, because that's what it's all about at the beginning of your career. You just have to play games and, and you know get in different situations on the ice, play with different guys on the Blue Jackets, create chemistry with different guys on the Blue Jackets, but. He's a joy to watch. He is a joy to watch. I talked about the skating ability of Igor Chinikov before. Adam Fantilli is right there with him. Um, and just the competitive fire of a player like Adam Fantilli as well is so fun to watch. I really, really enjoy watching him play hockey. And, you know, assuming he develops like everybody expects he will, he's going to be a complete cornerstone of the Columbus Blue Jackets. And 
you know, I don't think it's a secret around Nationwide Arena that he could potentially go down as the best Blue Jacket ever, assuming he's here for a long time. Um, If you ask Rick Nash, I'm sure he would say that, too. I think probably people would consider Rick Nash to be the best Blue Jacket ever at this point. But I'm sure that Rick wouldn't mind Adam Fantilli being the best Blue Jacket ever, because if he is, I think that means the Blue Jackets have had some success over the course of the next 15 or 20 years. Absolutely. I'm sure uh, it seems from right now that Adam Fantilli would love to spend the next 15 years in Columbus. So I think as well, there's a very realistic shot that he could finish his career as the best Blue Jacket of all time. Um, So while things maybe haven't been the best in Columbus, they have been very good uh, on the other side of the state in Cleveland with the Monsters. They currently sit first in the North Division in the American Hockey League. A lot of really good young pieces, some veteran leadership along the way too. players like Trey Fix, Wolanski and uh, Carson Meyer have been really good for them. Um, I mentioned Jack Greaves earlier. Um, but one player that really uh, catches my attention, a player that I've been following for a little bit and I've been interested in his development, is um, Corson Coleman's. And I mentioned earlier he spent two years at Wisconsin, and now he's in his uh, first season. He got some games in last year with the Monsters, but now he's um, full-time duty in the American Hockey League. So um, what's maybe the trajectory for him? I know there's some other very exciting defense prospects in this Blue Jackets organization, but um, is, is there going to be a spot either now or in the near future for a player like Coleman's? Well, it's funny that you bring up Corson because I'm actually going to be talking with him later today for the Pipeline podcast that comes out tomorrow on Wednesday. So I'm actually going to get the latest from Corson Kuhlman's a little bit later this afternoon. But, you know, I would say that he's going to dictate that, right? You see there's a bit of a logjam right now when it comes to Blue Jackets defensemen. I can't tell you what's going to happen this offseason. But going back to kind of the things we talked about with Elvis, it's up to the player to force management's hand, right? If Corson really, really establishes himself as a quality AHL defenseman, then it's going to be impossible to keep him out of the NHL. Um, I would say that he's a very raw prospect. I think that's what everybody, the, the consensus was on Corson Kuhlman's when he was drafted by the Blue Jackets 25th overall in 2021. People thought he could have gone higher than that. People thought he could have gone lower than that. He was always going to be a bit of a project defenseman. Uh, That was the case when he was at Wisconsin. I think he had a lot of maturing to do at Wisconsin, which he did. I think that's something that the Blue Jackets talked about with him, and he openly talked about that with me uh, really last season. I interviewed him right when he made the leap to pro hockey playing uh, with the Monsters after his season at Wisconsin ended, which is pretty much a year ago to this point, almost exactly a year, I would think. Um, But... He he took some huge steps last year. Like he talked about really developing pro habits when it came to his sleeping, his eating, his training, uh, the way he prepared for games, that sort of thing. So I just think it's going to take him some time at the pro level. And I'm curious to see what he says about just, you know, how it, how he's adjusted this year, where he wants his game to go, the things he wants to work on. Um, so I think that'll be very telling in the conversation that I have with him later today. But for me, I just think he needs time, right? As I talked about with Adam Fantilli, as I talked about with Igor Chinikov, Dmitry Voronkov, you just need to play games, right? It's not going to happen right away for everybody, and especially defensemen. You know, you think about how long it takes for for young defensemen to develop. It takes them a little bit longer than forwards just because – Uh, As a defenseman, there's a little bit more responsibility, right? You need to be physically mature. But 
And going back to some of the conversations that I've had with Rick Nash about Corson, the talent is there, right? He plays a very intriguing two-way game. There's some nastiness in his game as well. He showed that at the Prospects Tournament in Traverse City. Uh, he fought Marco Casper there in Traverse City, which I thought was was pretty crazy to see a couple of top prospects like that drop the gloves. Um, but he just needs time. He just needs time. But is, is, assuming he can continue to mature defensively and get better, he's, uh, I mean, they, they selected him 25th overall for a reason, right? So I, I he, just like you, he's a player that I've always been intrigued by. I'm always watching what he's doing. It's not like he has crazy offensive numbers or anything uh, with Cleveland this year, but I think that's to be expected. I think we'll see what he does with another season in pro hockey. I expect him to be with the Monsters again next year. Uh, and then really, I think at that point, we'll see him uh, establish himself or not as a pro hockey player. Yeah, I'm, I'm a really big fan of Corsa Coolman's. I have to say, you, you're absolutely right there. The raw potential has been there for that player. And um, it'll be nice to see once he finally puts it all together, uh, whether that is um, at the NHL level or at the American Hockey League level. There's just a lot of like, a lot of prospects here. Columbus has done a really tremendous job over the last couple <laughs> yeah. of seasons of collecting prospects. You know, you got guys like Jordan Dume and Luca Del Belbelouz who all have their, you know, different types of potential there. Um, I'm a really big fan of Gavin Brindley. I know there's a lot of people in the Columbus organization that are also big fans of Gavin Brindley. He's having a fantastic season for the University of Michigan. Um, but I, and I know you just talked about defensemen needing time, and you're absolutely right there that it is a development curve for defensemen that is a bit steeper than traditionally forwards entering the National Hockey League. But is there a realistic chance that Denton Matejchuk makes the Columbus Blue Jackets out of training camp next season? Yeah, I would say there absolutely is. I think, I mean, he was here for a long time at training camp this year. I think they took a long, hard look at Denton Matejchuk this go-around. I don't think he looked out of place whatsoever in the NHL preseason. With that said, there's obviously going to be some bumps and bruises along the way. He's a guy, <laughs> he's a junior hockey defenseman making the leap to the NHL. Um, we will see where he ends up. Uh, after his season in Moose Jaw, that's a team that's primed to make a run right now, potentially a Memorial Cup caliber team uh, out of the WHL. So we'll see how long he's playing in the postseason this year. But at least for me, again, I can't speak to what management thinks about it, but at least for me, he would 1 million percent have a shot to make the Blue Jackets out of training camp next year. You can't just, you can't write him off, right? Just because he's, he's a junior defenseman. But the way that he played this year, uh, I think definitely he's going to have a shot next year. Just the skating ability for Denton Matejchuk. He's so well built. Um, it's funny because when he was drafted, everybody kind of knocked him for being a little bit shorter of a defenseman. But he's like 5'10", 5'11". He's not that short. And, you know, what he lacks in height, he makes up for in bulkiness. Like the guy is is really well built. He's really thick. Um, so I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility whatsoever to see him with the Blue Jackets next year. Matt Rempe versus Matthew Olivier. Are we going <laughs> to get round two tomorrow night? Well, selfishly, I hope so, because that was a heck of a fight on Sunday at Nationwide Arena. I think Matt Rempe could use a, a game or two off without a fight just for his own well-being, but... The way that Matthew Olivier gave it to him on Sunday, I would be surprised if they didn't go again at Madison Square Garden, if you know what I mean. I think Rempe might want a little bit of revenge for that one. Is that 
does that speak to maybe like an overall um, team toughness that these guys really aren't afraid? I know I know Olivier is that kind of player, but um, just that this team is, is that like an overarching point that this team isn't really going to back down from anybody, even if that person is six foot eight. Yeah, I would say so. I, I the Blue Jackets wanted to change that after a couple of seasons ago. They were pretty light. Um, Brad Larson's first season here is is what I'm referencing, in that the Blue Jackets got pushed around a little bit that season. They didn't have a guy that really put that fear into the opponent. Now they have two of them in Eric Branson and Matthew Olivier. And I think you saw that stop last year as soon as both of them were here. The Blue Jackets weren't getting pushed around last year. In this year, they haven't been pushed around either. I still think there's value in that in the NHL. Um, you, you can't afford to to be getting guys hurt and things like that, which is what happened. You remember the knee-on-knee hit that Jake Voracek took in Minnesota. Zach Borensky was hurt at times that season because of, you know, the same reasons. Um, you can't you can't have the other team hurting guys, taking runs at guys, and we just haven't seen that. So, yeah, it's, it's an overall team toughness thing. Um, and there are other guys on the Blue Jackets that have that bite as well. Um, but definitely those two guys and Olivier – specifically in this situation yeah there's a there's a not backing down factor and i also think there's a pride factor too with matthew olivier matt rempe is a really hot name in the nhl he's a young guy looking to establish himself he's big he's six foot eight um and olivier olivier's like wait a second i'm a guy i'm a guy that's been here for a while and i mean he showcased that uh, <laughs> he showcased that he was the veteran in that situation he gave it to rempe pretty good we will hopefully get round two of that exciting matchup tomorrow night. Uh, Columbus Blue Jackets in New York at Madison Square Garden take on the New York Rangers. Dylan, you are awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. We appreciate having you on. Uh, you are great. Thanks. Have a, have a great rest of your day. Have fun covering the Blue Jackets the rest of the season. All right, guys. Thank you. It was great talking. That was Dylan Tyrer of the Columbus Blue Jackets. He's a broadcaster for them. Like I said, he also is the host of the Pipeline podcast as part of CBJ Radio. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. Um, really interesting stuff. He said he's going to be interviewing Corson Coolman's later, who I think just very highly of as far as uh, defensemen. I don't think he's as ready to step into the National Hockey League as Denton Matejchuk potentially is. Um, there, there might be a little bit of a, a gap there, um, even though one is in, currently in the American Hockey League, the other one's in junior hockey. But um, great stuff from Dylan. I mean, there's a lot to like in Columbus. We didn't even really have time to touch on players like Ken Johnson or Cole Sellinger, or guys like that. Um, Alex Taxi is having a really nice season after taking a year off from the National Hockey League, going to play over in Switzerland, coming back. Um, there, there's a lot, of, a lot to like. I think there's some sorting through that... John Davidson's going to do. Pascal Vincent is going to probably assist in some way, being the the eyes and ears behind the bench. So a lot to like about what's going on in Columbus and the fact that the Cleveland Monsters are first in the in the AHL, too, in their division, in the North Division. Um, I think sometimes maybe when things aren't going so well at the NHL level, it's always a nice consolation when things are going well at the minor league level at the same time. So we thank Dylan for coming on. We'd love to have him on again to uh, talk about the Blue Jackets whenever they pop up in the news. So um, to the games last night, and they were pretty exciting. I mean, some of them were not as exciting as others. Um, Patrick Wall won his first game. Patrick Wall. <laughs> Patrick Wall. Yeah, the New York Islanders take down the Dallas Stars 3-2. to two. We mentioned that one off the top. Um, 
But we could talk a little bit. You want to talk a little bit about the Seattle Kraken and the Boston Bruins? So, um, so the Seattle Kraken take down the Boston Bruins 4-3 in a shootout. Kyler Yamamoto with the shootout heroics there. Um, and, I mean, obviously the, the story of that one was the David Pasternak hat trick. The, um, the game from him was really impressive. Seattle lives another day as far as the playoff race goes. And, um, I mean, I'm sure Boston would have liked to get that one done in regulation and in overtime. They had plenty of chances before it got to the shootout. Jake DeBrusk had a breakaway in overtime that uh, was foiled by Grubauer. So a lot to like there if you're Boston, a lot of creating good opportunities. Seattle kind of skates by there. I, I have to admit, I um, was watching that game, and Seattle really just kind of dragged their way to getting a point there and eventually picking up the second one. But just really interesting stuff happening in Seattle. Jordan Eberle obviously scores again last night. He is, a lot of people are clamoring for him to be moved and, thinking adding him to other teams adding him to potential cup contenders around the around the league so um that is a situation to monitor going forward you also had the capitals doubling up the sun six to three that game was never really close from the start i think we all kind of know what the situation is with the ottawa senators right now where they kind of are in the standings these empty calorie games that they are playing right now and if you're the Capitals, that was, one, a must-win game, and two, it does put you in a lot better position than some of these other clubs that are fighting for that same potential spot that you are. Um, we are still awaiting an update on the Jamie Drysdale injury, which personally I feel is going to play a large part in how the standings look in the Eastern Conference going forward. Um, it might make some decisions in the Philadelphia organization, whether they choose to move off from some pieces like Sean Walker or Nick Sealer. I'm seeing that it's week to week. Week to week for Jamie Drysdale? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's already a big loss. I know he's new to the Philadelphia Flyers organization after the Cutter-Gauthier trade, but he has um, really been a good fit in Philadelphia. They're really doing well working him into the power play and trying to make sure that he feels like he's an important cog in what they have in Philly. So, um, but if he is out for, if week to week turns into the longer version of week to week, we could see a team like the Capitals maybe jump into a playoff spot like that. So that was a really important win. Max Pacioretty picks up his second goal of the season too. And that one, that was nice to see. Uh, Hendricks Lapierre also had two goals as well. So, I think the game of the night was the Edmonton Oilers one, though, right? Definitely. That was uh, a very good one. Los Angeles was up one nothing. They were up 2-1 to one after the Alex LaFerriere goal. We all kind of looked around. Didn't really sweat it too much. We were pretty confident that the Oilers would come back and win, and they did just that. Um, Leon Dreisaitl on the power play, then Evan Bouchard with the blast from the point, and then Ryan Nugent Hopkins with just an excellent feed, too. I mean, the the finish was good. The pass was really good. Nugent Hopkins didn't even need to get all, the, all of the wood on it to put that by um, David Riddick yesterday, who was very good net for Los Angeles. I know um, he did let in all four on the Oilers, but he really kept Los Angeles in that game a lot longer than maybe they deserved to be. So... Um, Stu Skinner was also excellent for the Oilers, too. 38 saves, not a not a big deal, but um, it, it doesn't really feel like he was tested too much. That He might even say himself that that was one of the easier 38-save performances of his season. So um, 
We do have 12 games around the board tonight in the National Hockey League. Before we get there, did we yeah, talk yeah. about the goalie interference goal callback? Yesterday? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, let's yeah. let's so go into this. I Yes. Thank you for correcting my oversight there. So back to the Bruins cracking game. And Boston appears to go up 3-2 to two on a goal by Morgan Geeky. He's taken it to the net. Jams in his own rebound after he was stuffed in the crease and he scores. And then after a lengthy video review, it is called back. And then Seattle gets one. And lucky enough, David Pasternak completes the hat trick later on to send this game to overtime for the Bruins. But um, there was a lot of displeasure about the Morgan Geeky goal being called back. Um, I personally believe it was a... An interesting call. We, you know, we talk a lot about um, what this does for precedent, um, what this does as far as h- how are these goals really called? Because goalie interference is a pretty arbitrary thing. It is not always called the same in every NHL game you watch. The standard that exists is a bit different. I personally believe that Geeky in this instance was just trying to push the puck over the goal line. Um, it, w- it wasn't like a noted goalie interference like he to me he wasn't specifically in his line of vision he wasn't in a net front battle even you know trying to tip a shot from the point he was just driving the net hard and if we are going to discourage that in the NHL going to the net hard I feel like we're going to see a lot less scoring now that, that might be a large overreaction to this but um yeah, I just I, I don't know how much you should be taking goals back from guys just going hard to the net. I know there is a limit. You can't like jam the goalie into the net. You can't um, you know, you can't push yourself into the goalie. You can't push the goalie into the net when he's got the puck. Um, but if you're falling, if you're being dragged down and you're you're finishing a play, I think you you just gotta leave it on the board. We want goals in hockey. Um and, and that would have been a big one for the Bruins. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on that on that goal callback? So you go first. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> sorry. Yeah, I mean, I agree that I think you'll definitely lose an edge in the game if you uh, discourage intensity like that going to the uh, net. Um, yeah, I mean, that's all extra. Yeah, yeah. I no. mean, I agree with you, Sully. I feel like it kind of takes away the idea of pushing the net aggressively and the line between that is getting skewed more and more. I feel like you have calls like this where, like you said, Tassos, it could be one of those just game-to-game decisions where this game it was <clears throat> not a goal, but the one if you watch another game and that happens, it's a goal. I feel like the precedent you're setting needs to be adhering to the way you want the game to be played. And so if you're not wanting guys to be like as aggressive pushing each other in those like tight knit close areas, then I feel like you're, there's a different way to do it. Yeah. And we're, we're always talking about too. It's just, if it's in the middle of like, you're finishing off a play, I think that's a pretty underrated part of this. Like it, it, he is corralling his own rebound. Philip Grubauer, has you know I don't want to blame him entirely but like you know he puts himself in the position that he is in in order to make the initial save if 
that is the case. It is really on him to recover in order to face the rebound as well in the way that he wants. Mm -hmm. And if he's kind of swimming in the crease, you can't really fault a player who is down on the ice, falling, attempting to make a play, trying to push it over the line, doing whatever it takes. So um, that that was just an interesting call um, that, I, that I felt like we should have touched on. Um, we will see the Bruins host the Vegas Golden Knights next on Thursday. And the Seattle Kraken will host Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins on Thursday. So um, we will see those two teams back in action again soon. Um, as far as the games tonight, so the Los Angeles Kings are playing the second half of a back-to-back. They'll finish off their own little personal battle of Alberta. They'll take on the Calgary Flames tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, that should be a very good one. The Flames are coming off that big battle of Alberta win, 6-3 over the Oilers on Saturday night. And I, I mean, that game has been talked about at length, but, I mean, what a tremendous game. It also seems that Andre Kuzmenko also might not be in the lineup for the Calgary Flames. They might try and keep things the same, keep no no reason to change winning lineup, especially one that just beat the Oilers. We also have the Toronto Maple Leafs playing host to the Vegas Golden Knights. Toronto's won seven games in a row. That is the first time that they have done that in over 20 years, first time in the Austin Matthews era. Um, obviously, we didn't really touch on it yesterday, but... The, the Tyler Bertuzzi hat trick on Saturday over the Avalanche was a, a big shifting point, it felt like, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, trying to get a player like that going, someone that we know has been struggling to put the puck in the back of the net, probably one of the most snake-bitten players in the National Hockey League over the at least the last few months, maybe the entire season. Um, we saw these two teams play last week. Toronto beat Vegas 7-2-3. Oh, boy. I, I want to say it was 7-3. It might have been 7-4. But um, nonetheless... The the two these two teams played each other. No Mark Stone for Vegas. No Jack Eichel for Vegas. Um, so this is definitely a thinner Vegas team. But if you are Toronto and you are trying to push this to an eighth straight win, you one you can't really think about that too much because if you do and you take this team lightly, the the reason the Vegas won the cup wasn't just because of the the high end, but it was because of the depth that they have. So. You know, the fact that some of these guys who may have been in lesser roles are getting more of an opportunity right now is not an excuse to take this team lightly. Um, Joseph Wall was also recalled from his conditioning stint with the Toronto Marlies, so we will see maybe if we get him between the pipes either tonight or tomorrow. Um, not tomorrow, I'm sorry, Thursday. I, for some reason, I, I had the Leafs on a back-to-back, but they will host the Arizona Coyotes on Thursday. A um, couple other really exciting ones. Tampa Bay will visit the Philadelphia Flyers. That one is a pretty important matchup when it comes to um, playoff picture and playoff seating. Um, St. Louis Blues will be taking on the Winnipeg Jets. Winnipeg obviously had a really nice weekend for themselves. Um, they seem to have been bounced back a little bit from a little bit of a skid. Um, they seem to be right on track again. Um, this win would go a long way for St. Louis, is really trying to solidify that final wild, wild card spot in the Western Conference. Um, but if you're the Jets, we've, we've talked, we, t- we did a little bit of Jets talk yesterday. We talked about Gabe Velarde. We talked about Gary Bettman visiting Winnipeg this week to, um, do a dive into what's going on as far as attendance issues go in the organization and in the city. Um, so there, there will be a lot more Winnipeg talk in the near future. Um, I'm going to try hard to get, maybe get someone in the market so we can kind of dissect because it, 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 it goes a lot deeper than just. Tickets aren't being sold for the Winnipeg Jets. I don't want to do a whole nother Jets thing here, but I'm I'm about to. So re- hold with me here, folks. Um, the Winnipeg Jets being 
struggling for attendance right now. I, I personally don't believe that the NHL would move this team from Winnipeg. I don't know that everything is that imminent uh, or anything is that imminent at all when it comes to this team. I do not believe that they are in search of a new ownership group. I think Mark Chipman is doing a lot as far as trying to reestablish fan connections um, and understanding why maybe people aren't renewing their season tickets in Winnipeg or why they aren't really coming in droves like they used to. I think there's a couple really important things to note here. Uh, when we were watching the Edmonton Oilers game uh, yesterday, I made mention to you guys that it was on Sportsnet, right? Yeah. Sportsnet is a rights holder for the NHL in Canada. They, they're they a rights holder, meaning that they, you know, they get the games. They get the National Hockey League games. So um, that was a – can you look up what the, the Rogers NHL deal was, Raven? Um, when that happened, it was a very, very big deal. Ah, uh, trust me, uh, you know. <laughs> we got two Packers fan with you. <laughs> what? The Rodgers Jets thing? Oh, Rodgers Jets deal. No, oh, I, I see what you did there. And that, this, you're talking to a hockey guy right here, though. But that, yeah. that was good, though. Thank um, you, thank you. Not, not Aaron Rodgers and not the New York Jets, but, <laughs> but um, Rodgers Bell. No, um, I had to like actually search up hockey deal when I searched up Rogers Jets because twelve year five point oh look at that rights. even if I you got to talk into the mic, Sully. My bad. Uh, twelve years, five point two billion dollar rights deal in November of twenty thirteen. November of twenty thirteen. Okay, so that rights deal is coming up pretty soon. Yeah. So what that kind of means is one, the NHL really, not that they can't move the Jets out of Winnipeg, but. That would want like th that deal is a big deal for the National Hockey League, and if you lose a Canadian market, you lose a Canadian franchise. The NHL is not going to be too keen in renewing that deal for anything less than that five point two billion dollars. You know what I'm saying? If anything, they would want to make it higher. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And argue that that should be more their product is getting better these teams are worth more tv rights deals are worth more um but i don't know that you can argue for raising the price if you have one less canadian team that you are broadcasting the games of so what, so that would go to four to three what three to two Eight what teams in canada hockey teams in canada like uh, seven NHL. there's seven oh don't listen to me then uh, that's okay. We, new, new guy to the hockey show. It's his first time. We're, we're getting the, we're getting the jitters out. Um, but yes, no, there are, there are seven NHL teams, Saul, in, okay, in, well, in Canada. Um, no, that's all right. Let's, let's just dwell on the, on the mistakes you make for awkward few moments at a time. <laughs> and then, uh, Sounds good. I'll make a uh, montage. <laughs> See, this is great. No, this is great. Raven can put all your little... Your quips on uh, yeah, yeah. on the board and just get them ready to go for us. Firing <laughs> off here, <laughs> make it feel like you're you're here when you're not even here. So um, yeah, I mean, I mean, now is as good a time as any. While we have uh, Sully rambling over here, do you have any games tonight you're looking at? Yeah, looking towards. Um, you got to talk talking to the mic, brother. Yeah, I looked mostly at the uh, Stars Avs mainly because, like we were talking about earlier, Stars went into OT. Uh, last night with Scotty Wedgwood and Gold, the almost parlay buster. Uh, as I was he was great for them night. yesterday. Uh, but tonight, Ottinger's back in goal, so I like that one, even though I think Avs are going to take it money line. Hell yeah. Okay. Any other games you're looking at or no? Just um, that one? 
Knights Leafs, but I don't like the odds on that one as much. I think anything you do with shots tonight for them is going to work out very well. But Yeah, that, that's a good one. Cool. All right. Well, we're going to do that with Sully every now and again. Where we bring him on, he's going to give us a couple picks, a couple things that he's looking at for the night. Um, whenever we have him in an office and we have him behind the microphone, just so uh, maybe we can get a little sponsorship going with a uh, with a betting app company. That would be pretty nice too. That would be that would go a long way as far as bill paying goes around here. So um, yeah, we'll watch out for that one too. The the Stars Avalanche is going to be a very good game. Sully mentioned the fact that the Stars played last night. Scott Wed- Wedgwood in goal. He was really tremendous. Was the reason why the Dallas Stars got a point in that one yesterday. He also had Logan Stankoven getting his first NHL goal on his 21st birthday. That was really cool. Um, that was because Tyler Sagan is day-to-day, it appears right now. Um, so I don't think we will see him tonight. I think we will see Logan Stankoven again. How about the play, too, by Wyatt Johnston on that on the Logan Stankoven goal? Just two men on him, really bullying his way through, corralling the puck still, and getting it into a good area for Stankoven to fire a shot, too. So... Um, Nice to see him get his first in the National Hockey League. He, he does currently lead the American Hockey League in scoring right now. So um, we will see how long he has a grasp on that over his Texas Stars teammate, Maverick Bork. If uh, if Logan Stankoven is up with the Dallas Stars for a while now, then uh, he might lose his grasp on the AHL scoring race. So um, that should be a good one. If you're Colorado, we're probably going to see Alexander Georgiev in, night, in net again tonight. Um, I haven't really noticed this too much and I don't really know how I haven't noticed this but Georgiev has already played in 48 games out of the Avalanches I just want to see confirm how many they've played exactly um 59 games he's played 48 of the 59 games so that is a lot of games he's already at 30 wins I, I know that his numbers maybe aren't exactly where he would want them to be where the organization would want them to be I feel if you don't get another goalie in Colorado at some point soon, you run the risk of running Alexander Georgiev into the ground. And if you do that, things will be pretty swift come playoff time, in my opinion. As loaded as the Avalanche do look at times, when you have Nathan McKinnon going, when you have Miko Rantanen going, um, it was a nice goal by Miko Rantanen on Saturday against the Leafs, but... um, you know, Cal McCarr just got his first point in seven games, I think, which was the first time in his career he had gone more than, like, three games without a point. So, um, you know, when Colorado is firing, there aren't a lot of teams in the National Hockey League that are able to match that level of skill and pace and intensity that the Colorado, Colorado Avalanche bring. But when things are not clicking necessarily, necessarily for the club, it is... Definitely a bit of a different story as far as what is happening in Denver. So um, we will be paying attention to that one tonight. We will also see Sidney Crosby's Pittsburgh Penguins take on the Vancouver Canucks, who are coming off that comeback win over the Boston Bruins Saturday. They were down 2-0. Brock Besser scored. You know, JT Miller had three assists. It was a um, really unlikely comeback victory for the Canucks. but um, And the Penguins obviously coming over that last last shot wins seven six wild one over the philadelphia flyers on sunday um that game brings a lot of intrigue because if you know we're, we're going to constantly be monitoring the ken Sidney crosby drag the pittsburgh penguins into the playoffs 
Um, you know, this game means a little bit more probably because you have Rick Tockett on the other bench as an assist or as a head coach now for the Vancouver Canucks. But he was with the Penguins for a long time, was with them when they won their most recent two Stanley Cups. And um, it, it just has a good connection with a lot of the players that remain over on the Pittsburgh side of things. So, um, you know, Pittsburgh's probably going to come out firing in this one and the Vancouver Canucks are probably going to try and you know, get get back on track. You know, that, that win against Boston goes a long way as far as trying to build back to where you were before that little skid that they had last week. But um, that should be a really exciting one as well. Um, looking around, there, there are some interesting games tonight. I mean, the Capitals taking on the Red Wings is going to be a big one tonight. Um, we mentioned the Capitals playing yesterday, beating the Ottawa Senators. But um, if you're Washington... You know, these are games, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this Capitals-Red Wings game. I'm looking at this, even this Minnesota Wild-Carolina Hurricanes game, if you're the Minnesota Wild. Um, the Nashville Nashville taking on Ottawa, not, not everybody might be thinking much of that game, but if Nashville can win or if Minnesota wins or if the Capitals win tonight, right? We're, we're talking about some of these teams, some of these chases being even tighter than we really could have imagined. Um and I think that's good for hockey. I, I, last year, it really seemed like, especially in the Eastern Conference, that the top eight spots were wrapped up pretty pretty well before the season was close to ending. So um, to see a bit of a race near the near the final wildcard spots is always a fun thing to watch. Um, some of these teams, I believe, are going to fall out of it sooner rather than later. But um, regardless, it's it's fun to enjoy right now, especially in the dog days of the season it doesn't seem so much I, I know I mentioned this I think last week but I, I said on the air that I really believed that a few of these clubs were sort of backing their way into trying to make a playoff spot um you know a team like St. Louis hadn't put together some pretty good performances in a while and same for Nashville obviously we had the whole U2 situation and all of that but um it doesn't really seem like they're doing that anymore all these teams are really gunning for it there seems to be you know we're we're at that point where the trade deadline is now fewer than 10 days away or right around the 10 day mark so um we're in the one-handed worth of games before the trade deadline like some of these teams only have three four games before the deadline so you are at that point where you will either make an impression one way or another on your general manager to either help or offload some pieces so um, I think we're going to get some more clarity as far as who is really here to stay. Um, like I mentioned, I think this, this Jamie Drysdale injury in Philadelphia is going to, um, play a big deciding factor in, you know, how intense things look. Um, Philadelphia, maybe that, that might be the game of the night. Uh, if I'm going to peg it now, um, I got Leafs, Vegas, Golden Knights being a game of the night. You know, some of the other ones we talked about are really exciting, but the, the Flyers in Tampa Bay, that, that might genuinely be the best game of the night tonight on a very busy night in the National Hockey League. So, um, you know, we'll see if we get Travis Konechny back in the lineup for the Flyers. Um, I assume we get Sammy Urson between the pipes for them as well. Um, there, there's a lot to like about Philadelphia. These pieces are just clicking. I mean, everybody seems to be falling into place very nicely. I know some guys like Noah Cates maybe aren't uh, producing at the level that we were accustomed to seeing last season for them, but um, if if everybody is firing for the Philadelphia Flyers and they are committed to playing that John Tortorella style of team defense, 
they will get wins that maybe they shouldn't have expected to. And and I mean, hey, they're already at 30 wins this season. I know they've lost a couple in a row, but they're already at 30 wins this season. And I don't think anybody really would have pegged the Philadelphia Flyers to be at 30 wins at this point of the season, regardless of any situation. So um, a lot of people had them pegged as bottom feeders again, especially after last season. Um, they return virtually the same team minus a few pieces on the back end and um, some some grind and grit in the bottom six, adding a player like Garnett Hathaway, who's had a really nice season in Philly. Um, but th- there wasn't a whole lot of like major work done to this team to make them jump from bottom dweller to currently top three in your division. So um, all this is to say that them hosting the Tampa Bay Lightning tonight should be a very good game. Um, we will see what kind of performance we get from Tampa Bay. It was a very good weekend for them, capped off by the big 4-1 win over the Devils on Sunday. And Nikita Kucherov is the first player in the National Hockey League with 100 points. So we will see how much he can build off that. He currently sits at 102 points, which is absurd. I mean, the next the next highest is Nathan McKinnon with 96. We could just as easily see him hit that tonight. Um against the Dallas Stars. But, you know, you look at just the dominance of Nikita Kucherov, and I was kind of telling Sully earlier that you, you talk to a lot of hockey players and you listen to a lot of them talk to the media too, and um, Nikita Kucherov is your favorite NHL player's favorite player. He is um, super deceptive with the puck. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time being like, Nikita Kucherov and Nathan McKinnon are great, you know? Like, we, we know they're great hockey players, but... Um, the the fact that maybe Tampa Bay isn't at the level of team that we've seen, you know, there's no more Barclay Goudreau, there's no more Blake Coleman, there's no, like, some of these guys are just gone, right? And um, there's no more Andre Palat or Alex Kalorn to kind of insulate the rest of the group so that way, you know, if one or two guys aren't going, they still find a way to win anyways. Um, it's really up to players like Nikita Kucherov and, you know, Stamkos is still having a really good season. Braden Point is having a good season of himself, too. Um, but it, it's Kucherov that really drives the bus. The power play goes through him. Um, everything kind of, the offense really kind of exists through Nikita Kucherov. So it, we're at that stage of existence for the Tampa Bay Lightning where if they are going to have success, it's going to be largely off the back of their stars carrying them. So... Um, and that is now more than ever on the back end too, especially with the Mikhail Sergachev injury and Victor Hedman needing to carry a large majority of the load too. Tampa Bay is also not to not to get into too many uh, too much Tampa Bay talk or too much Rumor Boys talk, but um, it does seem like the Tampa Bay Lightning are in the market for a defenseman or even two come the trade deadline. Um, if that is the case, then look out, everybody, because if Tampa Bay can do a little bit to bolster some of that defense, they kind of have a patchwork D going right now with some of the injuries they've sustained on the back end. Eric Chernak's been in and out of the lineup the last couple of days. Um, the the amount of players they've had to call up, the the Hayden Flurries, the, you know, Darren Radish has been with the club for a little while, but he was a full-time American Hockey Leaguer until practically halfway through last season. So um, it's been more of a, a call of necessity in order to keep him in the lineup rather than um, this guy is just really good, you know, not, not to no no Darren Radish slander, but um, still just a, a really interesting case study as far as how to build a defense core. And, you know, look, I mean, Hey, the Toronto Maple Leafs have won seven in a row, seven in a row. And five of those were without Morgan Riley, 
that that's just kind of the way it goes sometimes. A lot of people thought they would lose all five of the games that Morgan Riley was suspended, but they ended up winning all five of them. And, you know, you bring these guys up. We, when we're talking about the top 1% here, less than that, of hockey players in the world, um, it is a very interesting point to note that you can call guys up, and I've said this a lot, you know, especially when talking about the Leafs with the 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 Matt, the the Matthews, the Tavares and Marner being away from the lineup for a couple days. Players like Bobby McMahon, these guys can play in the NHL. Like these guys are good hockey players, right? It's not so much about that, but we're talking about just like little tiny, you know, tenths of percentages here of um, getting better. So Tampa Bay will certainly look to do that. Um, is there anything else you're looking out for tonight, Sully? Not to, not, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I just, you know, the, you can you can say no too. Um, let me think. Yeah, I don't think so. I think you're touching on all the big bad boy points. Yeah, I'm, I'm really also intrigued to see. We should mention the the late game tonight is the New Jersey Devils taking on the San Jose Sharks at the SAP Center in San Jose. Um. The Sharks, not much to report there. I think kind of like the Senators, although not not maybe truly in the same spot as the Ottawa Senators. Kind of know what the deal is with the San Jose Sharks. Um, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, could they beat the Milwaukee Admirals in a seven-game playoff series right now? And, you know, that, that might be a lot closer than you might think if, um, if you're a casual hockey fan being like, oh, there's no way a National Hockey League team could lose four games to an American Hockey League team. Well... I, I don't. A, you haven't watched yeah. much of the San Jose Sharks this season, if that is the case. Um, no, but San Jose does have some nice pieces. I, I I think they know what they are. So calling them not great is not really an indictment on the franchise because yeah. that's really where they're. That's the stage they're at and their their curve. Their the winning is not even on the radar for the San Jose Sharks. But they've done it 15 times themselves already this season. They've lost 41 times. So. Um, take that for what you will. But the more intriguing side of this game for me is on the other end, obviously, with the visiting side, the New Jersey Devils. Um, we mentioned the 4-1 loss to Tampa Bay on Sunday. Um, that being a very crucial game as far as, you know, what, you know, when, when these two teams meet that are battling for playoff spots, it's not really a two-point game. It's a four-point game, right? Because you're, you're taking away two points that another team could be potentially earning. So, um, this one is not necessarily a four-point game for the Devils, um, but it, it is a two-point one, and they matter all the same. And if you are New Jersey, players like Nico Heischer have been playing better. Um, Jesper Bratt obviously had a really nice goal Saturday afternoon against the Montreal Canadiens, but, um, and, and Jack Hughes is Jack Hughes still. Um, but the, the, things need to go right. I mean, a lot needs to go right for New Jersey. I mentioned yesterday off the hop that I, I had a, a gut feeling that I just felt like yesterday when I woke up that I would wake up and see a notification that the New Jersey Devils had made a trade for a goaltender. But obviously that did not happen. Um, so we'll see who we get in that tonight for the Devils. I think it would be Nico Dawes if all goes according to plan. I think Isaac Poulter is still going to act as the backup. He has not seen any NHL minutes yet. Um, although... Tonight in San Jose might be a good time to slip in somebody's first NHL game as a goalie. If uh, if you ask me, that might be a good time to get somebody between the pipes. But um, nonetheless, this is a very, very big game for the Devils. They can hit 30 wins if they get the win tonight. And um, I, I mentioned this yesterday. You know, we talk about this a lot with the playoff race. If there is any team that can legitimately 
scare another team that is not currently in the playoffs right now that could make the playoffs and scare a playoff team, it's the New Jersey Devils. Like I, I, I genuinely don't think you want to play the New Jersey Devils in the first round of the playoffs. Um, they're hungry. Jack Hughes will fight tooth and nail to get them there. He's really displayed that type of emotion in his game, that ability that he has to will his team more so. Um, I, I know there's been a lot of the... There's been there's been much talk about the clip after the post game when he said it's easier to get wins when you get saves or something like that. Um, I don't think that was a shot at his goaltending. I think he was just praising Nico Dawes there. Um, and then we all saw the the slamming of the sticks and frustration. And you know, some people enjoyed the passion. Some people said it was a bit um, childlike. I guess you could say. Um, and I I don't really think one way or the other about it. If you want to smash your stick, smash your stick. You're a millionaire. Um, you can, you know, the team will pay for more. And if not, if they if they really make you pay out of pocket for some sticks, it won't be that big of a deal. But it just shows you care. I know sometimes it's not always the best look to just smash your stick over the boards. But um, I, I think it just shows that he really, really wants success for the New Jersey Devils. Um, and the fact that his brother Luke is in the lineup now and things maybe aren't clicking as well as they were last season, right? I, I think that really bothers Jack Hughes. I, I think he takes that personally, right? I, he might be one of the the few players in the National Hockey League right now that take losses personally. I, I think this guy just, I think all the guys, you, you don't reach this level without not just loving to win, but hating to lose. Um, but like, I don't know that there's many players in the National Hockey League today that hate to lose as much as Jack Hughes. You, you might be able to throw Brady Kachuk in that mix. Um, that guy, regardless of where the senators are at, will continue to bang bodies and punch faces in and score goals. Um, he had a couple last night for the Sens against the Caps, but, um, you know, I, I don't know that there's a lot of players that hate to lose more than Jack Hughes. Um, or, or maybe his, maybe it's his brother Quinn, although they haven't done a lot of losing in Vancouver this season, but, uh, we'll keep an eye on that one. Um, the other games, the Florida Panthers will play host to the Buffalo Sabres tonight. Uko has been really, really good for the Buffalo Sabres recently. I mean, we, we've talked a lot about the, the Devin Levi situation. Um, I, I still really think the world of the player, I think the world of the person too, um, really grounded individual, really well thought out kind of guy. One of my favorite goalies, and you know, maybe maybe I'll actually reach out to him to try and bring him on. But um, one of my favorite goalies that is currently not playing in the National Hockey League right now, he actually is uh, doing a stint in the East Coast Hockey League right now, is Strauss Mann. And Strauss Mann is a former goaltender for the University of Michigan Wolverines. He was the starting goaltender for the United States at the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics in in that team that lost the heartbreaker of a shootout. Um, no Maddie Beneers in that shootout. That was, uh, were we watching that game together? I, I feel, man, that was so long ago now, but I think you and I might've been watching that game together, Sully. But nevertheless, um, Strauss man, who he hasn't really gotten a shot in the, he hasn't gotten a shot in the National Hockey League yet. And I know his American Hockey League numbers haven't been the best. He will self-admit that, um, things have maybe not gone as well for him at the pro hockey level as he would have expected when he made that transition from really interesting guy too. he, he left college a year early and he signed with Sheleftia in the Swedish hockey league. And at, at 21, 22, whatever that is to, to say, Hey, 
I don't have any offers from NHL teams. I don't really want to go take an American Hockey League deal where they might not be as invested in my development because I'm not a draft pick. And to say, you know what, I'm going to go over to Sweden instead as an American kid and just be like, I'm going to go live over there and really soak in what development is. And this is a long-winded way. I know I've been talking. I started this point talking about Devin Levi, and here I am talking about Strauss Mann. But um, Strauss Mann is one of these guys that is very, very open about the the mental side of hockey and the mental side of goaltending in particular. Um the maturity to kick at that level is paramount. Um, and and I, I really believe that Strauss Mann will play in the National Hockey League at some point if he continues the work that he's been on and if not have a very successful career otherwise. But um, Devin Levi seems to have that part of it to him. Um, so it doesn't really phase me that Uka Pekalukinen has really asserted himself as the starting goalie in Buffalo. This is what he was always supposed to be. He was always supposed to be this level of goaltender for Buffalo. Um, it just maybe hadn't clicked entirely at the NHL. We saw some flashes of, flashes of it last season, but this season is really the one where it's shown through for Lukanen. And I, I think I said this a couple days ago, you really, really have to wonder where the Buffalo Sabres would be if they had played and ridden Uka Pekalukinen the entirety of the season. They would most likely be in a better spot than they are in now. And none of this is an indictment on uh, Devin Levi. I still think he's a fantastic goaltending prospect, um, has the potential to be, you know, one of these guys that um, is one of the top guys in the NHL. And I think we were talking about this a little bit. We'll, we'll wrap up the show in a, in a little bit here, but I did want to maybe finish on this point of just goaltending in general, because, you know, we have seen the emergence of Ukapekalu and his numbers are fantastic. Like, his numbers are just so, so good, and it's it's really been a like just a very technically sound guy. Um, doesn't move a whole heck of a lot. He's not swimming in the crease. He's in position a lot of the time, square to the shooter. And he, I feel, does have that potential. Like that potential does exist for Ukapekalukunin to really push himself. When we're talking about goalies that have that potential that maybe haven't reached it yet. You know, we're talking about the UPLs and the Devin Levi's, but we're also talking about guys like Peter Kachekov in Carolina, who, you know, had a brilliant shutout of the Florida Panthers last week. But, um, you know, it, it's been an up and down kind of roller coaster for, for Peter Kachekov in Carolina. You have guys like Joe Wall, even in Toronto, who I know is coming off that high ankle sprain, and we'll see if we see him either tonight or Thursday. But, um, and then you have the guys that haven't really played NHL games yet or maybe only played a couple like Yaroslav Askarov and some of these other cats that are, you know, might be right. Dustin Wolf is another one um, for the Calgary Flames. I know he hasn't shown too well in his NHL games this season. But um, when when we're talking about goaltending, it, it does feel like, and, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I'm going to kind of pose this hypothetical that um just the, the amount of elite goaltenders has really dipped down. And th there's I've heard a lot of different theories about it. Um, my own is kind of a mix of everything I've heard, right? Um, we did go through an era where a lot of really, really high-end goaltenders left the game. Henrik Lundqvist, Pecorine, you know, Corey Crawford, you could even throw into that mix. Some of these other guys that were around for a very, very long time, Roberto Luongo, Corey Schneider, um, these, these types of goalies that were in the game for a long time. And we've 
maybe not so slowly. I mean, I think it's been like a four or five year thing now, but th- those guys are all gone from the NHL. And there is Andre Vasilevsky in Tampa Bay, who is probably the cream of the crop when it comes to goaltending in the league right now. Um, you have his r- fellow Russian counterparts and Igor Shosturkin and Ilya Sorokin, who was brilliant last night for the Islanders, uh, really saved their bacon in that one. And if the Islanders do make the playoffs, it will be uh, a, a big task of Ilya Sorokin ahead of him to the rest of the season. But um, going down there, there's not going down the list. There's not many other goalies who are at that stage that they can steal you games and really make a difference. Obviously, Connor Hellebuck in Winnipeg. Um, is not to be overlooked. He's probably going to be the Vesna winner this season. Um, we talked about Jake Ottinger a little bit with Sully when uh, previewing Dallas and Colorado tonight. I mean, you could definitely put him in that mix of goalies too. Um, I think the challenge with Jake Ottinger is not so much injury. I know he's been a little bit injured this season, but um, you know, I, I think that's more just maintenance than anything because I think a large part of the issue with the Dallas Stars last season was Jake Ottinger was tired. By the time they got to the third round of the playoffs against Vegas, there was nothing left in Jake Ottinger. And, you know, so you gotta you gotta do really well to to develop these guys and make sure that they're not overworked and um make sure that they're able to withstand four rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs after an eighty two game regular season. So um that's why I mentioned the Georgiev workload earlier. Um it is worth noting because you you never know what's gonna happen once it gets to the Stanley Cup playoffs. And you know, we saw Colorado lose last year. I wouldn't say it was because of goaltending, but um you have to believe that maybe if Georgiev was able to match the level that Philip Grubauer brought for the Kraken last year, that um it would have been Colorado on the winning side of things. So um Big picture, though, uh, I think a lot of these young goalies, it's going to be really interesting to see over the next little while, the rest of the season, next season, too, um, who is really dis- able to separate themselves from the pack. Not all those young goalies I named are going to be top five goalies in the National Hockey League. Um, they all have the potential to get there, um, but it's nice, too, especially with a guy like Levi, who's so unorthodox and really works on scorpion saves and split saves and doing all these crazy things in the net. Um, not so much swimming when I talk about guys swimming in the net, that that's more so uncontrolled rolling around in the crease. But when we're talking about like technical rebounds and you're at a position and then putting yourself back in position, that's, that's a skill in and of itself. Um, so whoever really is able to kind of break that mold to the other, the other part of goaltending too, that I want to say is that like a lot of these guys are kind of the same. And this seems to be a pretty large sentiment around hockey. I don't think I'm breaking any world-beating news here. Um, but, you know, the, there are some players where it's definitely a hard distinction as far as who is really good and who is really just kind of like, you you know, you can put one guy in for another guy for another guy and you'll get the results. You know, it's about how your team plays in front of him. Um, goaltending is a lot about like, you know, what kind of defense, you know, some nights the Ottawa Senators goaltending looks really good. And some nights it looks like it looked last night. And, you know, um, I'm sure there's a couple that they would want back yesterday against the Caps, but um, you know, it, it is all about defense too. So good. Show me a good team. I will show you a good goaltender. Um, so, I think that's going to wrap up for us today here on the program. We got the deep fade with Zach Elliott coming out later. They're doing a bit of a baseball preview, so be sure to check that out. Also give uh, a check out to Dylan Tyra's show. Uh, you can find it on CBJ Radio on Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. Um, but it is called the Prospect Pipeline. I think he does it like once every week or a couple weeks or so. 
um, brings on like really, really good guests, people that are really integral to the player development side of things with the Columbus Blue Jackets. He um, obviously has free reign access to the Blue Jackets prospects. They do a nice job with setting him up to touch base with them and uh, really get um, an inside perspective on what their development is looking like. So um, go go check out Dylan's work. He's he's really fantastic, and we thank him a lot for coming on with us today. Um, 12 games in the NHL tonight, and they're all good ones. So um, w- we will be watching those. Only two tomorrow. So a bit of a quieter day. I think we're going to have Sully back on Thursday, right? Yeah, man, we're we're really excited to have you here. Good vibes in here yeah. today. Good good energy. Um, we're we're gonna be grinding away trying to get some some sponsors on these shows after uh, after we're done and the recording booth is filled up by Zach and Co. So, um, like I said, be sure to listen to the deep fade later on today, um, and that'll do it for us here today on Good Morning Hockey on the Alethio Network. Have a good one, boys. Oh,